Hi everyone, it's Amelia Quint. You're listening to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. As always, this podcast is made possible by our patrons. Our community of mystics is growing all the time, so come join us. For $15 or less each month, you get instant access to the archive of exclusive forecasts, horoscopes, taroscopes, and bonus episodes. Plus, you'll have the chance to submit a question about your personal natal chart for each month's Q&A video. If that sounds like your cup of tea, head over to patreon.com slash badastro and stay for a spell. This is an independent production, so your contributions go directly to making sure this show continues to have the best research, guests, and topics around. Another easy way to show your support is to leave a positive review on iTunes. I know, you've heard it a million times, but it really is like magic for the algorithm, making it more likely for other kindred spirits to find this podcast. So go ahead, bewitch iTunes, and be sure to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Bad Astrologers to stay up to date on the latest releases and benefits so you never miss the good stuff. Now, on to the episode. Let me tell you a secret. Alkistis Demek is one of my favorite voices in occultism ever. Her art and her words, like her natal chart, which she was gracious enough to share with me for this podcast, are passionate, fiery, and radically present. She's known for playing a variety of roles on the world stage, a dancer and choreographer in the lineage of Bouteau, co-founder of occult publishing house Scarlet Imprint, and devotee of the goddess Babylon. But during our conversation, we tried to answer another question. Who is Alkistis Demek behind the veil? It's a complex discussion with lots of twists and turns, but one that helped me reconnect with beauty and optimism in what can sometimes seem like a post-apocalyptic world. And I hope it does the same for you. So sit back, relax, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. Hi, Alkistis. Thank you so much for joining me on Bad Astrologers today. Hi, Amelia, and thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm so glad we were able to uh, sort out. I don't know whether we have Mercury on our side or what now, but um, we overcame <laughs> some tech difficulties and now we're here. And I'm, it's a conversation I'm very much looking forward to. Um, but before we dig into all of the, the rich, in-depth stuff, I want to ask the traditional bad astrologers intro question, which is, what is your earliest memory of being drawn to the spiritual, whether that's astrology or tarot or something else entirely? Oh, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was probably mm, a lot before I even knew there was a, a spiritual, I guess, mm. or a, an occult or any of these things, that there were names for them. Um, I think I've always been very aware of the other world. I always had a very active imagination. And, uh, oh, <laughs> this is a really <laughs> difficult one. Why wasn't I prepared? <laughs> it's, um, a, 
It's always a good um, conversation starter. I was especially curious because I know that you came to, um, I guess, what we would call the occult or the Western mystery tradition later mm -hmm. in life. Um, so I'm curious, like, what was your starting point? Did you jump straight from like a materialist perspective into oh, I've um, never... gnosis? Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never been a materialist in that sense, although in some ways I would describe myself as a materialist in that I think everything mm -hmm. is, is matter and spirit. There's no difference. Um, I think, uh, well, I was raised Catholic, so there's always been that spiritual um, element in my consciousness. Um, I remember when I came to England, I was five, and we, we had to go to church and to religious school. And so I, I heard the stories of uh, saints and angels and things, and I was fascinated by that, and I wanted to be a mystic, and I wanted to see these visions. So I, from a young age, I wanted to, and I was I sort of, I saw other things. I didn't see the saints that I wanted to see, and it was very confusing seeing mm. other things, like ghosts or other spiritual entities. So from a young age, I was aware that I was living in a very haunted and 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 and, mm, and spirited house with a family with a, a very big and strange history. So I, I was aware of that as a matter of fact, it was part of my life. It was just the adults that weren't aware of it. So I, I learned to, to not talk about that so much, but to have that, that part of my, my world, I kept quiet to myself. So it's always been there. It's just the Western tradition of like magic and occultism was something I hadn't. Um, I, I didn't even know magicians existed still. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> the discovering there was a world of magicians and witches out there as well is uh, and sort of a, a, this hidden history and not just the history that we're like told in history books. Then that was um, that was really thrilling. It's a wonderful thing when you sort of come to grips with that, right? And I love the way that you described your your Catholic upbringing and and seeking wanting to be a mystic and seeking mystical experiences and finding them, but finding them um, differently than maybe your uh, mm. elders would have wanted or what you had expected. That's something that I yeah. I definitely yeah. share as well, and I think a lot of people who <laughs> listen to this podcast do. That's usually the the beginning story anyhow. So, um, so I want to skip a little bit and I, since we were just talking before this started about, um, I was the genius who decided to schedule this for a day when Mercury was square Mars, um, which I, which I guess is great for the conversation matter that we're about to get into. Um, but like less great for actually connecting over continents. Um, <laughs> yes. So what I really want to dig into um, is your Mars, um, because you have this really incredible Mars in your chart. And I would go as far as to say, I feel like your Mars, which is an Aries, which is mm. about to be very uh, important in our world um, coming up here soon, um, and mm. everything surrounding it in your chart is sort of the ultimate expression of your body of work. And I say body because your work is so embodied, right? Um, yes. so obviously Mars and Aries is at home and Mars and Aries are both about the body, the flesh, um, 
the viscera, the way we feel things. Um, and I have been so fascinated by your work on on dance and especially the occulted body. Um, that essay, Dynamics of the Occulted Body, you say, for me to dance is to initiate myself into the body's mysteries again and again, to know myself in the process of becoming and to know the world and its becoming through an intertwined corporeal consciousness. Um, so I, I give you that quote just to say, to give us a starting point and ask, what does the occulted body mean to you and how can we beginners who maybe are not dancers begin to understand and work with that? Um, well, it's really not necessary to be a dancer first. It's, mm -hmm. um, we're all moving creatures where our consciousness is a moving consciousness. That's how we, we, we are in the world. That's how we interact with every other thing or being in the world. So, and that even extends into the more even um, like less less physically uh, materially embodied aspects of our consciousness like in dreaming and so on it's still sort of tethered somewhere to the, the physical body even if it's um, moved across more fully into the imaginary um, the occulted body is for me a way of understanding but with recognizing the primacy of the physical body and also how little we really know or understand about it and how little we take into account that the physical body is also its dreams its desires it's um the sort of the the, the psychic or unconscious that is um buried within it or absolutely completely one with it so i wanted to find a way that i could discuss what we understand by subtle bodies or sort of the spiritual body but also not in a way that separates it from our physical bodies and beings and reality. And I think this was also a way to integrate better as humans into the wider uh, environment and our interactions with other beings. We're not what we are in isolation, we're what we are in relationship to everything in our environment. And so the occulted body is the first step towards starting to recognize this, this reality. I mean, the reality that I probably sensed when I was five and I wanted to be a mystic and I was mm. feeling that I was maybe too evil to be one. <laughs> I wasn't having visions. And I've, I've kind of come to terms with this evil or this, this badness, this lack in me and, and I found the visions within my body. And this experience is really the occulted body, I think, that it's... Uh, Yes, it is the physical body, but the physical body is not limited to just something you might find on a, a, a surgeon's table being dissected. You can't understand it in that way. You have to understand it in a in a vital, moving, fluid sense. That is so beautiful. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, for me, it was sort of a galaxy brain moment, understanding all of the spiritual mm capacities that our body has in my chart if you were to look at it you would see that I'm very like cerebral and I tend to live too much in the mind um and you know don't know what to do with my hands I guess <laughs> so the <laughs> the idea yeah. of the occulted body has really been a therapeutic one and a powerful one um oh, for so someone glad. who is not um you know naturally predisposed to it but I think that that's the beauty in it is that we actually are all naturally predisposed to it right 
Uh, and that recognizing that the mind is just part of that. Yes. So, yeah, starting to become more sensitive or maybe awakening those aspects which are sort of more submerged within the, the flesh as well. So it's not just about the, 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 the mind consciousness. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so actually, just as of a couple days ago, we have this... Um, Mars retrograde coming and the shadow period just began and everyone's really afraid of it. Um, I am a little afraid of it, to be honest, um, because it's, it's making a lot of um, not nasty, but challenging aspects. And it's definitely going to be a personal challenge to everybody on the earth. We're all going to be experiencing it. Um, but I think the real beauty in, in understanding the occulted body and beginning to um, work with that is when you think of Mars retrograde, it's about going within and, um, you know, turning the spiritual energies inward within yourself and starting to experience it in a physical way. Um, the last episode before this was actually about that. So I, I hope that people are able to, um, you know, that's, dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I hadn't thought about it like that. And, um, well, it's interesting that this is coming up. So, yeah. How yeah. did you, uh, you said it where in my notes, you said um, you think of uh, a cult of body as like an archaeology of the body and a retrieval mm -hmm. of the flesh. And I think that mm -hmm. that is what this Mars retrograde will be if we do it well um, and don't get yeah. sidelined by, you know, whatever obstacles are in the way. It's like a retrieval of the flesh, being able to really understand what we desire and why and, and go and get it and clear the way. Right. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, whatever aspects. See, my 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 feeling about astrology is like we're all affected by these things. I mean, differently depending, I guess, on our own charts. But that yeah. we have to deal with this, and I just kind of throw myself into everything and try and take care of myself. <laughs> things are hard, but there's nothing you can like avoid. So I'm, mm -hmm. I, I I don't know if it's my my Aries Mars or I'm just very. Um, I, I will seize it. I will. I will take the challenge. Because <laughs> <laughs> my life has taught me that this is the only way things happen. So. I love that. Mm. I our Marses are quite different. I'm not. Um, my Mars is in a very. Uh, it's a beautiful place, and it's one of my favorite things in my chart. But it's um, not as active as yours, or not as readily <laughs> accessed. I'll say. Um, so along with your Mars, I have this, uh, whenever an astrologer gets a theory, I feel like that's never a good thing. Um, but something about your Mars, I don't know if you've dug into before, is that it's like exact, like within a couple of minutes on top of dwarf planet Eris, um, who is the goddess of discord and destruction. And we all know how she threw out the apple that ultimately started the Trojan War. Um, but I use her in my readings and I absolutely love her because, um, you know, I think of her as this explosive, intense, like hungry, feminine energy in whatever way you define that for yourself. Um, but ultimately I feel like Eris is a little bit of Babylon. Um, yeah. because also Jack Parsons and Marjorie Cameron had a prominent Eris as well, conjunct their moves. So I'm intrigued. Isn't that interesting? And so I'm intrigued by how this like very intense, um, yeah, divine, you know, consuming femininity shows up in people's lives, right? Um, so tell me about, about Babylon. How did she become a part of your life? I know 
you have written voluminously about her and, and danced well, about not, her. Yeah. But <laughs> where, do, where does the story begin? <laughs> oh, um, well, it kind of, I met Peter and Peter had written The Red Goddess. Um, well, he was in the process of finishing it. But before that, I had a vision about two months before I met Peter, I had a vision uh, while I was meditating in a garden in London, just sort of a beautiful summer's day. And a woman appeared and um, she kept transforming. She kept her, her face and her clothes kept changing. All the time she was communicating to me, sort of like mentally, or her, her lips were moving, but the, they didn't correspond with the words. It was just this kind of pouring forth and um, told me a lot of things that didn't make sense at the time. Um, at the time, I was working, or I was sort of doing a devotional practice with a, a dakini called Kurukula, and I had sort of created a, prax a praxis around that. And around, it was very free. I was uh, really not initiated into anything, and I was doing various energy works and yoga mm. and these meditations. But I was more interested in Eastern mysticism than anything to do with the West. Uh, then I met Peter through some crazy coincidence. We had a mutual friend who connected us, and it was really when Peter started sending me the the first like the the chapters. He would send me like a, a chapter every few days. And I, I read the red, uh, the, the, the red Goddess, the book on Babylon that he wrote. And it just, I, I mean, I remember just crying reading these things and feeling like it had opened up something that I hadn't thought of before and that I hadn't recognized or accepted in myself before and a certain aspect of the feminine which existed in the West, which was sexual, which was powerful which had all of these things which i was trying to come to terms with in myself but hadn't found a language yet that that could be expressed in and i was always like a sort of a visitor in in the um, eastern traditions because i wasn't initiated and because it wasn't in my language so that just uh, that just changed everything and then we sort of we were seeing each other for a year and then uh we moved together and started scarlet imprint and put the book out and just it's um it's been all consuming like uh, <laughs> mm. i could never have imagined that i'd always felt like i was some kind of spiritual dilettante before because um mm. well i have uh bipolar disorder or manic depression or <laughs> whatever yeah. you call it but um so it was it's always been very hard for me to have any kind of consistent practice um physical or, or um, spiritual uh and artistic all of these things had like suffered massively throughout my life i'd never really had the support i needed and so when i was with peter i just it was everything changed i had that support for the first time in my life and he encouraged me to explore what babylon is to me rather than uh his experience of her because he had kind of invoked her through this book he'd written it as a love letter and not as you know the last word on the goddess babylon or anything like this right. it was really to free her from a lot of the the, the sort of ideology and dogma that had uh, created around her especially through um 
sort of Crowley's ideas. Um, and it was more about taking it back to Revelation and even further back to the goddesses that are this, um, this lineage of goddesses who are goddesses of love and war, who are of goddesses of passion, but also of the battlefield, of fertility, because they, you know, flowers spring up and, but, right. and, and blood and all of this. And yeah, so it's just been continually deepening that understanding, um, working with her and trying to communicate these experiences and that that for me had to be done entirely through the body because there's so little actual material for someone to 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 work with to sort of uh, in terms of uh, texts and things so it had to really be done from zero <laughs> pretty much and taking the text like revelation like libra 49 or um, the daughter of fortitude speech and well actually all of these and kelly's um scrying work and taking that and developing it further and in actual direct communication with the spiritual entities that sort of emanate from this figure. So that's kind of been, is that a short version of what happened? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Remarkably so, yes, and a, and a wonderful one. I, and I'm glad that you have done the work to, um, you know, contribute all of these new ideas and things to a goddess that you know, there there wasn't much to begin with. And I think now, um, you know, I was just thinking about what was it, the 13th anniversary of yeah, Scarlet we just, Imprint? Yeah, 13 anniversary, 13 years since we published The Red Goddess. And, um, wow. and so much more has come out since then. So it's wonderful to see um, this, uh, the raising of uh, the consciousness around Babylon in the last few years, particularly. It's really, um, it's really gathered a kind of momentum that, no, it doesn't have anything really to do with with me. It's really that right. people. She's talking to so many more people, and that's just. Um, it's what we wanted when we published this book, just to bring her through, and let her come through more than, more than just these organs that were permitted to speak before. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and it completely has. Um, yeah. Thinking about Babylon, you use a phrase that I'm a bit mm -hmm. obsessed with now, is that, that of erotic eschatology. Uh -huh. um, and I was thinking about that phrase, especially in light of um, how dramatically our world has changed suddenly this year in 2020. Yes. Um, yes. It definitely feels like, um, you know, a bit apocalyptic or at the very least like a an ending of a way of being, right? <laughs> so I'm curious if you can tell me a little bit about that phrase for our listeners and potentially how we could apply that understanding to a post-COVID world. Uh-huh. Um, uh, well, I was thinking about, in, in eschatology, which is the sort of the, the science of the end times, it's the, the knowledge of, uh, how we deal with our personal ending and also with sort of any other ending, like a sort of an aeonic ending, the ending of the culture that we're sort of going through now. We're definitely in some kind of death throes. Something has to change. Um, I've always felt, and this is how I experience her, that Babylon is so, so intimately connected to crisis and, um, 
I've always been very much a crisis individual. Uh, and so, hmm, trying to think how to explain this. Well, there's a, there's a sexual crisis as well. There's like the, the crease or the, the, the orgasm is also a kind of crisis. And we think of this as the petit mot. And so the, 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 the grand mot is also similarly envisaged in this, in a way that is connected to the way we experience um, sexual climax. And for men, that's very different than for women. And I think with Babylon, mm -hmm. and what I've noticed in myself as well, is this ability to renew one's energies, even at the point of like utter weakness, utter devastation. There's, I always have felt this welling up of energy again, and it always starts in my sex. It always starts from within, and it's like deepest, most, most interior part of me. And the life like won't won't ever let go. It won't ever give up. So I wanted to rethink the way we understand eschatology and apocalypse because I think it can be very destructive. Um, it can be very fatalistic. It can uh, inspire all kinds of like mad behaviors in people. And it's necessary to see through this. It's necessary to maintain our consciousness, our ability to envision a future through these crises and not to just sort of succumb to, to the death or the petty more and to be exhausted and to sort of l l lie wasted, but to, <laughs> <laughs> but to have this, this resurgence of energy again and again. And this is something so typical of female sexuality and um, the way our bodies work. So the erotic eschatology is a, an understanding of eschatology that's much closer to the feminine sexuality, which is to have a resurgence after this crisis, which we are inevitably going through and going to go through, and things do need to adjust and transform. But it's through this that we have to be able to keep our consciousness, hold our integrity, um, maintain our bonds and and uh, see the future and create the future. So the erotic eschatology is is a kind of a a, a counter to to John's or any other sort of fatalistic. Christ is coming with a sword and he's going to like <laughs> kill all the bad people if you don't believe. I, I just wanted to get rid of that morality. That morality is not the morality of Babylon, and that that sense of finality is not. It's not that, but whether we continue as human beings or as some kind of human AI hybrid or as some other life form that doesn't require oxygen, and right. <laughs> whatever. I don't know. I can't see that. But you know, for the, the the few the few moments or years that I'm here, I want to do my bit to open those channels so that and to change the discourse around this ending and what the beginning will be and that the ending is not a finality but actually starting of something else and to plant those seeds that we want going forward to 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 grow into the future so now that this dark night that we're going through is the time to do that very very but it's both an intimate work deeply inside oneself but also this work where we join forces and we lay aside some of this sort of ego that is happening 
um, inevitably because of, you know, the internet and being a sort of conflict driving thing and to kind of find a, a way to conjoin our energies and our force to actually bring about a good transformation. Because I think at the moment it hangs in the balance. I think it's in the balance. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I think um, that's the beauty of the erotic eschatology of her, you know, the very fatalistic way of, of John or, you know, predominantly mm. the way Christianity looks at things is I feel like the the belief it, that everything is coming to an end does inspire people to behave in ways that are not, you know, yeah, uplifting or kind or generous or even, you know, at the very least nourishing to the world and to the people around you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thinking of it as like a rallying of forces and renewal of strength is so, so good. <laughs> exactly um, that. <laughs> <laughs> so coming back to um, the idea of divine femininity, I guess you could say, sacred femininity. Um, looking at your chart, one of the things that jumped out at me first is the fact that you were a double cancer. So you have cancer yeah. sun and rising with the sun like right there, uh, close to yeah. the horizon, um, which was so interesting to me because I think that um, cancer is a sign that's often pigeonholed into a very like traditional, even regressive way of viewing the feminine or caretaking. So yeah. I'm curious, uh, how do you relate to that archetype, if at all? Um, um, I don't, I, I always found that really <laughs> strange because yeah. um, my mother is also a Cancer and she is um, just like the sort of archetypal mother, she's perfect. <laughs> this is my oh, no. sure. I think my mother yes. is perfect. She is, she is. Um, and but I'm not like her at all in those ways. I, I, I sort of rejected that. I rejected all the sort of um from a very young age, I rejected the expectations about what it was to be a woman and or a girl actually to start with. I I, I didn't do any housework or help my mom with anything. I, I just acted like my dad all my brothers <laughs> and took all the male prerogatives for myself, which made me like really bad, <laughs> a really bad person. But I felt that I kind of had to do that. And I just, I, ah, I've never wanted children. I, I reject the idea of marriage because I only want to be with someone out of love and not out of any kind of uh, state approved, you know, sanctioned um, bond. Um, and love is so sacred for me that 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 have anything other than the love is um, almost sacrilegious. So yes, I rejected all of that stuff, and I never wanted children. Uh, so yeah, that always amused me and and bemused me actually. And I remember seeing an astrologer once, and she said, "Oh, you're like a real Earth mother." And I just looked oh, at her and thought, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an earth mother. <laughs> I'm not even very good at camping and all that stuff because I need too many like home comforts. I know, but, I'm the uh, same, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, but there is a fierceness there and I'm very protective. And if it's something like, I guess my magical child is Scarlet Imprint and I'm very protective mm. of that. And, and of the books we create. So an element of me is also 
you know, fierce about these things. And it's a kind of fierceness that comes out of um, love rather than just aggression. So yes. <laughs> maybe it's a maternal thing. I don't know. I don't no. think there's anything wrong with being a mother. It just has never... I was always an artist and I always felt like an artist and I realized that my, because of my health, I don't have the time to balance everything. I can only do, like, I have to use my energy for the thing I'm here for. So yeah, yeah. I made that choice. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important choice to make. I'm the same. I never mm. wanted to have children. It was just never on my radar. And I, I yeah. struggled with my own health issues and I mm. knew early on that I would, I, if I was going to give myself completely to my art, then I was not going to be able to look after a child. Not that I would have wanted to anyways. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. yeah, I, I think it's I, an art in itself, isn't it? Looking after children, you have to give so much and to, to, yeah. to give this child the start in life and uh, opportunities and all the strengths and all the confidence and all the skills. It's like a full time job. So um, absolutely total respect to whoever does that and can do that because it's, um, <sighs> it's very, very, very important. The mother is the, the first, our first experience of the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I definitely uh, co-sign that. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm especially intrigued about what you said about Scarlet Imprint, I guess, being your artistic child in a way, because, you know, with Cancer Rising, the moon is your ruling planet and you have your moon in Sagittarius, which is yeah. publishing. Um, uh -huh. So it's like an <laughs> obvious connection. <laughs> Sometimes this, this has happened to me with so many like clients this week. It's so obvious. Uh -huh. And like, I think people are expecting more of an explanation and it's like, because astrology is, a, it's like a symbolic language, right? Like yeah. um, the symbols can stand for so many different words. Like, okay, well, mm -hmm. artistic child, Sagittarius moon, it makes sense. Um, That's fascinating. I didn't think of it like that. I didn't think of the moon there like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It, I guess it, it makes sense that, you know, publishing would be a comfort zone for you. Have you, have you always been a writer or a designer? Like, at what point um, in your life did that become a part of your story? I've always written. I, I, I always mm. wanted to be an artist and I couldn't decide if I was going to be a filmmaker or a writer or a painter um, or in uh, a theater maker. So I, I just had too many like ideas. Um, publishing just happened by accident. I had no intention to do that. It was because Peter had a book and we had to put it out and it had to come out a certain way because um, he'd uh, made a magical promise and it had to be yes, done. Yes, these things happen. Yeah, and then it just kind of kept going. It was, um, we didn't we didn't even know what we were doing. It just sort of, <laughs> we've learned on the job. So yeah, it needed to be, it wanted to be. And it was, um, yeah, it's definitely a magical child. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm I laughing about it because sometimes it just drives us crazy and we can't get away from it. It's like that. <laughs> like children <laughs> I never thought about that I actually I hope it's okay with me saying but I was I was so excited to do this interview with you because I'm I'm such a fangirl of your work and your philosophies oh. but like I think the thing that people don't do enough especially with astrologers astrologers looking at someone's natal chart you know who is a public figure 
it's easy mm. for astrologers to think that you have somebody all figured out. Like you have all of the cosmic knowledge of what makes them tick. Um, but everybody has secret things and secret places within themselves and private lives. And, you know, I was like, I, I wonder, you know, like, what is it really like behind the scenes? Like everybody does the, the ritual magic and the, the witches dance. But like, what happens when you run out of like packing tape to send out the Scarlet imprint books? Like, who is that just then, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of the mundane stuff that happens that's all like, um, it's all excised from social media. Nobody needs to ever know the reality. <laughs> I agree. I feel like social media makes it so much worse too, because yeah, you only awful. see, or, or better, yeah, depending on how you look at it. You can definitely craft a way of being, but. Yeah, it's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You have to, you have to use it wisely and not get caught up in it and all that but also realize that it's it's one reality it's not a, a total reality by any means no not at all it's a very selective reality i would say mm -hmm. um so i want to i actually just want to ask you a little bit about your relationship to astrology because i didn't ask you in the beginning um and mm. i should have so you mentioned seeing an astrologer once, but mm. on your magical journey or in your life, like what role has astrology played? Like, are you someone who uses it to plan your rituals? Is it just like a, a mm. awareness in the back of your mind? What does that look like for you? Um, I, I work mainly with uh, the moon. So I use lunar astrology mm. more than anything. Um, it works like... Well, I'm very constrained in a lot of things I can do, and a lot of the work, a lot of the workings, the ritual workings I do are very um, extended in terms of, for example, if I'm doing a dance, there will be months and months, sometimes years of preparation leading up to the, to the performance. Mm. So it's much more periodic. I will work with the, the, the phases of the moon. I will work with my, I mean, first of all, I work with my, my period, my, mm. my period cycle. So my menstrual cycle. Um, so I record all I record all the lunar information and, and keep an eye on what's happening, any um, important uh, aspects to the moon. Um, I also keep an eye on um, the lunar mansions. Um, so I kind of fit what I have to do around as best as I can around like the mm -hmm. astral weather but primarily focusing on the moon because it's usually to do with manifesting something and the moon seems to be the the it seems to be the thing that works best for me um if i yeah <laughs> i don't know if that's clear enough <laughs> i'm trying to think of um examples um well i'm engaged in a very I, i'm a few months into some long process now and so it, it kind of consists in sort of taking notes. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of plan ahead a little bit and um, kind of keep an eye on what's happening in terms of the, the, the various lunar uh, astrology, whether it's the moon forming aspects or um, what phase it's in and work around that. And this is kind of how I get things done. It seems to give me enough fluidity to, because, um, Everything is quite, uh, the time is quite limited that I have to do these things. So Scarlet is like a full-time job. And then working on dances outside that in the time I have outside that. And so ritual is totally integrated with my dance work. 
I mean, there are devotional practices that I do every day as well, or every week or every month that sort of fit into this um, framework. And it's always kind of, yeah, it's based on months more than anything. So there'll be a working that I'm doing and um, I try to observe the full moons and the new moons, but also um, the 25th uh, day of the lunar month as well, because that's uh, connected to Babylon. So that's a day I do sort of sort of, um, I think it's also meant to be Dakini day, which is curious. And I haven't found if there's a reason why it's connected. This is a, a day that's holy to Ishtar as well as um, to the Dakinis. So I use that to do sort of an important like devotional practice and meditation. That is so interesting. I've never heard that before, but I guess it would make sense if it was sacred to Babylon and also the Dakinis, I think. Um, and I love all of these mm. examples that you just gave. Um, my advice to anybody who I meet who has some sort of prominent cancer in their chart is always do everything that you can in your life to align with the align with the moon, whether it's the lunar cycles, um, if you're mm. someone who menstruates, follow your yeah. own menstrual cycle, um, follow the sign that the moon is in, the phases, like it's very powerful magic and it seems to be yeah. working well for you, so. <laughs> yeah, it is, it's kind of lucky that I work at home as well, so I can, I can organize my time quite freely, even though it's limited, I can still, like take the time I need because I'm here. So that, mm -hmm. that really works for me. I can imagine cancerians are quite good at being self-employed <laughs> and doing this sort of. Yeah, it's very yeah, true. This work on their own. they need to have their own sanctuary, their own space to do things as they wish. My husband yeah. is also a moon in cancer. So mm -hmm. as that cancer dominant, he's, he's very much that mm -hmm. way, has his own businesses and like own space. So, um, but it's, it's important. It's so important. <laughs> yeah, um, it is. So I wanted to mention to you, this is more an observation than anything else, but I thought it was an interesting um, thing to dig into. So everything that we talked about, like the Mars and Aries, and now we talked about um, how the moon looks in your, in your chart and how that operates, it's all a part of this really beautiful, um, called a grand trine, a grand fire sign, because it's all uh, three different things in, in fire signs. Mm. And uh, so that's like the Mars and Aries mm. at the top of the chart, the Venus and Leo in the second house, which makes Venus dominant too. Um, and then your moon and Neptune in Sagittarius. Mm. So it's kind of like all the different sides of you collide, right? The dancer is there at the top. Yeah. And then the, um, you know, the Leo side is again, the performance and also like a lot of your work is around the erotic and mm. the divine feminine and then the moon neptune and mm. sagittarius is like mm. really kind of spiritually inspired like publications and creations it's like this amazing uh alignment of all the things <laughs> um which i yeah it's like it's right kind of in the middle and it, it just jumps right out it's I did notice, like, I'm having, I feel like I'm getting a little taste of what it's like to be someone who has the moon and Neptune together in their chart, um, which I, which I don't, um, oh. but right now the transit that I'm having, I'm feeling oh. it. And I, I don't know, I cry all the time oh. and <laughs> everything is like a <laughs> spiritual experience, which is like wonderful and terrible, yeah. I guess. Um, but for 
Is that it? Welcome to my life. <laughs> it's so overwhelming. I don't know how you oh. do it. Uh, I have another year of this. Oh. And <laughs> I just turned 47. And like, it's, um, it's crazy because I've spent most of my life feeling like I don't know how to make my, my astrology work. It's been like being on a ride that I can't, like on a horse that's too wild and I can't even ride it. It's, yeah. You know, out of control. So like this grand fire trial, I've got loads mm -hmm. of fire in my chart. And it was always like so much. I had someone read my chart when I was um, about 20, 19 or 20. And he said, oh my gosh, it's like so creative. You've got all these fire signs it's, and a grand fire trial and da, 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 da. And I was like, yeah, but I have no idea what to do with it. All this energy and I have all these like ideas that are creative, but I had no way to manifest them or to put them into the world or to even finish anything because I've been like, like, you know, the moon and Neptune sort of everything is overwhelming or, um, I've also got like Mars's, uh, opposite yes, Uranus or something as well. So there's like a, real, there's a, a lot of weird opposition there, which has been quite like problematic. And I took, it's taken me many, many years. And also like there's sort of continual support mm -hmm. of Peter since I've been mm -hmm. with him like even get a handle on how to make yeah. myself work <laughs> it's like how to how to be a functioning human in the world is something that's taken me quite a while so i'm like a late developer and i'm just trying to make up for it and try to get as much done and not just not just waste these these gifts that the universe is <laughs> like i feel like for me it's very inspiring because i am also a late developer um but i'm only 31 and i keep getting these readings where it's like oh well you're gonna do something really important when you're 37 or like after like in your 40s and i'm like but i'm in my 30s now what am i supposed to do i don't understand um uh, just keep doing right. stuff keep keep just keep, keep doing things yeah it's um it's crazy but every every decade has got better. Like I feel so much better as forties than I did as thirties, and thirties was infinitely better than twenties, and that was better. I know than you cannot pay me money to go back to being <laughs> in my twenties. Like absolutely not. <laughs> Especially with the um, hard aspects from Mars yeah. and Uranus. I don't know how you experienced that. I have mm -hmm. Mars square Uranus in my chart, and it was just constant accident prone and just getting into stressful situations mm. so and it was a similar situation where I met my husband and he kind of like I feel like then I was able to have enough like yeah. structure to figure out what to do with with my hands like I was saying yeah structure structure and discipline are things that I really had to learn over my life and they've been the like critical to actually getting anything mm -hmm. done so yeah you have to have that <sighs> like structure <laughs> even though i'm kind of loath to admit it it's <laughs> fundamental to everything if it was up to us we would just be in like ecstatic dance uh ritual all day but unfortunately taxes have to be oh, paid that would be right? great. <laughs> yeah yeah it's weird we live in this capitalist system that doesn't like really care about your spiritual experiences or how you're feeling or if you're having an off day or if you'd just rather yes. daydream today <laughs> or something yeah it, yeah it's um it's a funny world that we found ourselves in now that we've created or that we've been born into because that's we didn't really true choose we it, just so. ended up here um 
On the good news front, before we wrap up, I did want to point out, as I'm sure you're Mm -hmm. probably aware, you have this lovely Jupiter return coming up starting um, in December and kind of going through most of 2021. And that's kind of the, it's like the Saturn return, but the good version, right? Um, It's going to be great. So I can't (laughs) wait to see what you do during that time. I'm sure it will be lovely. Um, But what what are you working on now that you can tell us about? I'm sure there are many things that are still in the works, but what what's next for you? Um, well, I'm working on a performance called Pata, which has been in the works mm. for a few years since I first had a dream in which the sort of the key or the clue to what this performance would be about came to me. And um, I'll be collaborating with the musician Angie Chung again. Um, who I worked with for visitation, and she did an absolutely amazing piece that um, really um, uh, it's really sent me into the the space I needed to be mm-hmm. in order to to have the visitation. So Pater is a completely different piece that's looking at the relationship of um, my body to this paternal space rather than the maternal space that I explored in the decollation of flowers. I wanted to look at my relationship with both my father, but also those father figures in my life, like um, uh, Arto, who was so formative to me as a teenager when I discovered Mm. his works and became a kind of spiritual father, and um, Kichikata Tatsumi and uh, Komorobushi, who are like the teacher's in the Bhutto lineage, not through Hijikata directly, he was dead when I started, but they represent sort of figures who imprinted something on my being, on who I am uh, as a dancer. Um, So I wanted to explore this, uh, how one makes the angelic body through this, um, what what I've experienced as a very oppressive patriarchal, influence or space in which it's hard to be uh, a woman, it's hard to be a girl, and that the strengths one needs to develop within oneself, inside, at one's core, and also just to push oneself out into the world, to have a voice, to, to, to gesture in the world, to, to write, because still, like, more women need to write, more women need to put their voices out, and, and um challenge the sort of dominant paradigms that are still extant and still sort of clinging on you know with their sort of rigor mortis even though we know these things don't function and even though it's not good for men or women that we live under this situation i mean i've always been and when i talk about the occulted body i'm i've always been very clear that men and women have so much more in common than we have difference and that patriarchy is as destructive and damaging to men as it is to women. So it's just the few old white men at the very top of the pile that like get it good. So this dance, although I'm looking at these broader issues, is also a very personal dance. And it's kind of to do, um, yeah, the formation of this angelic body, which is the, the, the very the higher octaves of the occulted body, the sort of the body that becomes more spiritual and and exceeds the physical body and spills into the environment and is um, 
and the environment enters as well. So this is the kind of these are the ideas I'm working on. I'm writing, so I'm writing up some of my um, uh, essays, uh, sort of talks that I've given as um, more fully as essays and exploring these ideas because they all inform the work I'm doing. And the dance is pattern. I don't know when COVID, when when things start happening again, I will look into where I can perform it. But that's. That's the current that project. is incredible. And I, I hope that COVID relents at some point in the relatively near future. So. <laughs> so we can all um, you know, witness how lovely that's going to be. But yeah, that's great. This has been wonderful. And I just want to say thank you for all of the work that you have put out into the world and for um making Scarlet Imprint your artistic child. I was just thinking, um, it was like a couple of days ago I was at I was waiting for an appointment, but I was standing outside with a copy of Lucifer Princeps, and I didn't realize I was like in front of a church uh -huh. in a graveyard. And I, I, first time I'd read the book, and I reached like a very pivotal point in the first chapter, and these church bells started ringing. It's so strange, just like <gasps> incredibly <laughs> magical experience, uh, like the vibrations or something. I don't know. It probably sounds crazy, but these. Um, That's crazy. It's all it's connected, connected and uh, yeah, just grateful to get stuff to you. So thank you for your time. And so uh, much, Amelia. where can we find you? Where's the best place to find you online? Um, oh, oh. <laughs> back to yes. social media. <laughs> I've got a website, alkististamec.com, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter. So yeah, you can, I'm kind okay. of, I'm findable. I'm just not very. That's okay. I will. Uh, I'll link to everything <laughs> um, in the show notes. I'll make sure it's readily available and shareable. So thank you. This was a delight. Thank you so much for your time. Have a lovely day. It's been lovely. Thank you.